Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode 49 of the Talking Chop podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland, and we are coming to you after yet another playoff win. It's a very different place that we've normally been in on this podcast. That's a very, very good thing. And joining me to celebrate a Game 1 victory over the Miami Marlins, Eric Cole is here. Hello, sir. Three straight playoff wins, Brad. Three straight. Like, that's that's actually kind of weird to say out loud. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, uh, especially, you know, the first series was kind of weird, those two games. Uh, and they didn't; ha- they had to definitely dodge some bullets in those two games, but they were never trailing in the way they were today. Um, so they, they get down in this game. We'll go, th- we'll go through the blow-by-blow of it as usual, but um, showed some resiliency here. Uh, the Marlins, for some reason, decided to w- wake up the Echoes and throw it Ronald Acuna Jr. That was a poor decision, um, I would imagine, by them, because the game flipped pretty soon after that. There were all kinds of numbers to throw at you, but the one that I will lead with now is the fact that the Marlins in the regular season were 28 and 0 after leading while sorry while leading after six innings during the regular season, and uh, that happens today, Eric. And they they didn't they didn't they didn't win. They're no uh, they, they, did, no. they did not carry over. So <laughs> they actually lost in pretty convincing fashion, as it turns out. Yeah. yeah so the, the floodgates open, and we'll go through all of that stuff. But I mean, do you have broad takeaways? I mean, I guess we, we could spend some time now. Uh, on just what you think in general. We're obviously going to close this podcast later on with some look ahead to the future. But uh, you know, this felt like a very—it was obviously a very, a very fun game. Once the bats woke up, before that, there was some tense moments to be sure, and some uh, Atlanta sports doom. But where's your head at right now, and where was it at in the middle of the game? Well, I when we did the preview, I said that I just don't think that the Marlins starting pitching will be enough to keep the Braves' bats quiet for the entirety of the game and that their bats won't be able to keep up even under the best of circumstances. And that's pretty much what happened. Like, this was an ideal situation for the Marlins. Max Fried was not sharp. They were able to string together some hits, which is pretty much the only real way they have to score runs because they don't have a ton of power in that lineup. They have to kind of get a few hits in a row to kind of get something going, which they did in the third against against Freed. They got a lead. Their pitcher was pitching pretty well, and it didn't matter. Like, the Braves just got in within a run, then Alcantara was out of the game, and then the Braves put up six runs and the game was over. Like, this was, this was as good as, I feel like, in a lot of ways, like, this is almost as good as the Marlins could have hoped for, other than the starting pitching not giving up like any runs, but I just don't think their bullpen's good enough. I don't think that, and I think that the offense was kind of due for one of these games where they were going to kind of string together one of those innings like they did today. And the Braves bullpen is just insanely good to where they're not going to be able to get these like late stage, late, these late game rallies together unless under like some really extenuating circumstances. So like, I, I wonder if this is just kind of got to be how the series goes where, you know, maybe the Braves struggle a little bit early. Maybe they fall behind a little bit early if they're, you know, if their starter is struggling. And then they just end up just winning the game handily anyway. Because that's why a lot of these games against the Marlins has happened, has happened this year. Is it just, you know, it's kind of close, it's kind of close, and then it's not. And then it's over. Yeah. I mean, uh, there were obviously lots of twists and turns in this game. 
we did we did say on the preview pod that you know game one was going to be important if no if for no other reason that you know you you want to win with max free pitches and on this game when free left they were losing and that was an upset in some ways um but to come back and win it anyway was pretty significant we'll have to dive into all of what happened here but yeah, I, I tend to agree, you know, especially the, the first few innings were pretty favorable to Miami. Not that they, it wasn't all like flukes, but they had, they had some bad, some bad bit luck in there a little bit. Um, the brave missed some opportunities and uh, they capitalized. So credit, credit the Marlins for capitalizing early on. But once the floodgates opened, uh, they couldn't get them shut. And uh, that's the kind of thing that, Braves, that this offense can do. And they've shown that repeatedly, including against the Marlins this year. So, yeah, I think I feel the same way overall. We were pretty confident before the series. I'm still pretty confident even more so now with a 1-0 lead. But we will now dive in a little bit to uh, what transpired. Let's start at the beginning. Uh, just going through it all. Uh, the first inning, Max Freed looked incredible frankly. Uh, he did not after that, but the first inning, yep. he was really awesome. Uh, there was an Austin Riley error on a bounce throw, but no damage there. Free pitches around it. And at that point in time, I was feeling pretty good. And then Ronald Acuna homers on the second pitch of the game. And it was not a uh, not a kind home run. He uh, annihilated the baseball. Uh, 4 and 28 feet, opposite field. Uh, once that all happened, once Freed was cruising for, three, for those first four batters and Acuna homers, I think everyone was probably uh, pretty ecstatic. Granted, things flip momentarily, but, you know, a good start for the Braves, quite obviously. Uh, in a game that they actually had to come back from, you couldn't really ask for a better first inning than what actually happened. Yeah, I mean, and 110 miles, like, exit velocity the opposite way is kind of crazy. Like, like Acuna killed that ball. And, upper like, de- upper deck opposite did, field. <laughs> like, crazy. Yeah, and it did, like, like from, like, the, the first camera angle, you would not have thought that's what happened. Like, you know, obviously he, like, he didn't, like, completely mishit it or anything, but... That wasn't the ball that like he got all of, and that ball was never threatening to stay in the stadium. So it's kind of wild that he hit the. I think there's like been one home run this year that was opposite field that went longer than that one, like total in all of Major League Baseball. <laughs> I saw someone tweet that. I can't remember who. Um, he, he, Ronnie's Ronnie's absurd. We, we can kind of get into that later. But uh, the other thing is like people were kind of really ragging on Austin Riley for his defense early in this game, but like there was something going on in the infield where like they just decided to like basically have them like monsoon conditions before the game. And I think that I'm wondering if maybe there's some, some grip issues and just kind of some, I mean, obviously there, there's probably a little bit of nerves too and things like that, but I just, I don't think that everything was quite right in terms of kind of what those conditions were, especially early on in the game. That makes me think that that might've played into kind of how that was going, but overall it was a really good start to the game for sure. Yeah. The, why was the infield soaking wet? I don't really know. That was a question everyone was asking. It's an indoor facility. Uh, I don't know why they chose to do that. I'm not sure it had a huge impact, but it might've, that was bizarre. I'm glad you pointed that out. Um, immediately though, in the second, the Marlins tie it with a leadoff home run by Rojas. And, uh, that was only the third, the th- third home run allowed all season long by Max Freed. He did, he did look okay otherwise, but, uh, the trouble was to come in the top of the third, um, there was a flare and then a grounder. So, so to be fair to Freed, the first two singles in the third were not like extremely well hit baseballs, but um, got a, got a strikeout from there. Then a pretty decent pitch to Cooper, I thought, but it stuck past Riley into left field for a two run double, and then another single, and suddenly it's four to one. Um, you know, again, there was some bad bit luck for sure against him, but Freed didn't look like himself necessarily, especially with the curveball. I didn't think after the first inning, um, and he leaves the game shortly thereafter, but uh, what did you make of the third inning sort of mini blow-up from Free? because he just doesn't do that? I guess this is the only start of the season where he allowed more than three runs, uh, which is kind of crazy in itself, but did you think he was as bad as the numbers looked like? Did he, did, he, did he get unlucky? Like, how much was how much of that was him not being himself versus how much of that was a little bit of uh, of luck going against him? Uh, I mean, some, some of it was certainly luck. Um, you know, like a lot of, there's some situations in that third inning too, where like there were some borderline strike calls. This was not a badly umpired game, I don't think, but it was certainly a little bit inconsistent and like some, th- some calls that could have gone either way. He just didn't get and combined that with some bad bit of stuff that wasn't like, again, this wasn't like, you know, the Nick Marcakis double from the Cardinals series bad, where it's like, you know, literally one out of a hundred of those turns into a hit. But there was some, like, a little bit of unlucky stuff happening, little dinks here and there. It's kind of how the Marlins have to win games, so I kind of get it. But at the same time, like, I wasn't, like, super alarmed. He just doesn't seem like he could, like, he could throw a good curveball to save his life today. And sometimes that just happens. You know, you never know if, like, you know, maybe that finger's a little bit sore from the last start. 
uh, when he was trying to put spin on it or, you know, something like that. You just never really know. You just didn't have feel for it. And he kept trying to throw it and they were just not having it. You know what I mean? Combine that with some like less than great fastball command too. Like he just didn't have it today. Like it wasn't like a, I think he's hurt. You know, he was still throwing 95, 96. It just, just wasn't really commanding his pitches. Who, who knows if, you know, what, what kind of humidity situation where it seems like that kind of gives him trouble sometimes out there in Houston. I mean, you just never really know. So, like, overall, like, it wasn't great, obviously, and him only throwing so many pitches in the game, like, I'm sure has some people concerned. It doesn't really concern me all that much. If anything, it makes him more available in Game 5 than it did, than I would have thought he would have been um, coming coming into this game. But beyond that, it just kind of stinks um, that they had to kind of go to their bullpen so early. But I'm much less concerned about that after the, the, the outings, and we can talk more about that later. Uh, but... You know, it just kind of stunk that they had to kind of dip into their bullpen so quickly. Yeah, that's the only, you know, in retrospect anyway, the only real negative is that they had to use almost everybody today out of the bullpen uh, that they want to use anyway. But, you know, Freed, I, I think he would acknowledge, I, I know Snicker acknowledged even on the broadcast that Freed just wasn't himself today. And not like in a disastrous way, but he just wasn't quite, it wasn't, it wasn't his A stuff. And he gave them a chance still. He didn't get absolutely shelled, which is good. And 70 pitches, like you pointed out, is probably good now that they've won this game and that that gives him a better chance. He's not someone that's been uh, super ready to go on three days rest, so I'm not sure they I'm sure they'd love to avoid game five if at all possible. But if they get to that spot, you might be able to go to him, at least for a short outing in game five, and that would be better than not being able to go to him in that spot. Um he got through the fourth unblemished after two great defensive plays by Ozzy Albies, so shouts to him for those. He was great on defense the entire game today. He really um, was. Uh, he was like, he was not alone, but that was a. I thought he was a particular standout defensively throughout the game. Um, there was one mini threat in the bottom of the fourth was singles from Marquez and Riley, but Acuna struck out to end the threat. Um, we should talk about the third inning though, because that was the fourth inning. I, I, I skipped skipped over a line, but uh, before Freed exited the game, was the controversial part of the game. Uh, Ronald Acuna gets, gets yeah. hit by a pitch by the Marlins. Uh, we'll spend some time on this now. Uh, there were warnings issued to both sides for reasons passing understanding. Uh, Brian Sicker was irate, uh, and rightly so. And he even, uh, if people saw this, I'm sure, on the broadcast, he gave an, an interview about an inning and a half later in which he uh, did his best to avoid being fined by Major League, Major League Baseball for complaining about uh, about umpiring. But he clearly was not very happy. It was uh, pretty masked, um, and purposely so. I think he uh, kind of get there's some head shaking, some hemming, some hawing along the way. He knew uh, they were not very happy. Of course, the Marlins, um, on the record anyway, were saying that they did not hit him on purpose. The ESPN, uh, sorry, the Fox Sports One broadcast was uh, going out of their way to say that, that you know the Marlins wouldn't do that on purpose. You know, the history makes it difficult. I think if this was anybody else that they hit. Um, Everyone would assume, and I probably rightly so, they were not trying to hit someone in the middle of a playoff game with a lead, because that makes no sense. That makes no sense, sense at all. But it's the history of the same team, this same player, and that's what I think got everybody a little bit more upset than they would have been with anybody else. So we'll stop there. Obviously, it ended up going very well for the Braves as soon as that happened, essentially. But what was your reaction to them hitting Acuna? Was it intentional in your view? The reactions, like, what do you make of all this? I think it was intentional. Um, I, th- it, the ball was like too squared up, like on his hip immediately after, like the bat immediately after he hits a lead off home run. Yeah. And that, like, that's, I, the, that's I, the one here, for me. <laughs> that's yeah, the here's thing. the, here's the thing, right? Just because it doesn't make sense to do in the situation. There's been plenty of times when they have hit Acuna. It was very clearly on purpose or the situation didn't make sense to do it. It's just that they feel like they have to establish like dominance in this way. And they feel like this is kind of the only way, like the problem fundamentally for the Marlins is that Ronald Acuna Jr. is going to beat them single-handedly if they don't feel like they do something kind of out there. And in this particular case, it's just that well, they're just going to keep throwing at him in the hopes that he won't be as aggressive because they can't get him out. And the reason why I'm like, you know, I was maybe a little bit iffier on it until after the game when Sandy Alcantara, the, the guy who threw 98 at Acuna's hip, was like, you know, like, was asked, like, you know, what, you know, when Acuna took a couple steps towards you, what did he say? He's like, if he wants to fight me, then I'm ready to fight him. And he went on for like 20, 30 seconds about it. And I'm like, they're trying to instigate something with, with Ronnie. They're trying to cause a ruckus. And, you know, if they hurt him, they hurt him. If they get him thrown out, they get thrown out. Like, it just, there's something about how they treat Ronnie. They, they just clearly hate the guy. Clearly hate him. And it's frustrating because, you know, Ronnie's one of the best players on the Braves team. 
He is incredibly fun to watch. And then there's this team that has no regard for his safety and is willing to go to these kind of tactics to get to deal with him. And it's again, it's frustrating. And I understand why Snickers was frustrated. I mean, Freddie Freeman looked like he was ready to hop the bar and go onto the field too. So, <laughs> but it all it, look it all worked out in the end because. When they do things like this, and Ronnie handled it really well, he like took a few steps, but he's like you know waving off trainers. He went out and ran the bases, and the next thing that happened is that Marcelo Zuna hit a double, and Ronnie was flying around the bases. There was no way they were ever going to get him, and that woke the team up. It woke the offense up, and I think that ultimately, kind of that emotional turnaround is kind of ultimately what gave the Braves the win today. Yeah, I'm, I always hesitate to assign like you know pivot point of that kind of thing, but it definitely felt like the game swung in that moment to a certain degree, especially once he's flying around the bases, zooming in home, zooming in home, diving, sliding, uh, getting up, fired up. Of course, uh, you know to the point about Snicker being frustrated along the, along with everybody else. He said, and this is a good point in my opinion. Um, Snicker said, you know, I, I guess everyone understands the book on Ronnie. I guess is you have to pitch him inside, and that's kind of what Mattingly said too. But Snicker follow that up by saying if you're going to do that you can't miss which is kind of the thing like listen it could have been a coincidence i guess whatever you whatever percentage chance you want to say that it was not on purpose um there probably is a non-zero chance but you you just cannot especially with the history with this particular player you better not miss especially in the plate appearance right after he homered off you uh the optics are just not great i was frustrated by the national broad i know it's a national broadcast they're not dialed in in the same way that a local broadcast would be to the history here. They at least acknowledged it briefly, but uh, yeah, it was, it was maddening, but the game swung essentially on that moment. Obviously the Braves were still behind, but with, within a few minutes from there, um, there was no massive ruckus, but Ozuna doubles, Ronnie scores, and then Travis Darno, who had the game of his life, essentially uh, doubles, he sure did. doubles home Ozuna and it's four to three in a hurry. So yeah, I think you said it well, Certainly, you could leave up to interpretation as to like where that won the Braves the game or not, like waking them up in that spot. It didn't hurt. We can we can probably land on that. Um, they, I'm sure they could have uh, used that infusion of energy, and they got it. And uh, in a flash, it's four to three, which is uh, feels a lot better than four to one. Eric, before we go to the fourth inning and beyond, I want to take a quick break now to hear from our sponsors. We'll be we'll be right back with uh, the rest of what became a Braves victory. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. All right, Eric, uh, it's four to three as we come back. We referenced this before, but, you know, free out after four innings, 70 pitches with the most runs that he allowed all season long. The fifth inning, they go to, they go to Darren O'Day. That's the first bullpen decision. Um, and by the way, spoiler alert, again, as we said in the last series, I thought Brian Secker did a very good job today. It was not the most difficult managerial game in the world, um, but he pressed the right buttons and I had no issues whatsoever just in advance with any move that he really made today. Were you on the same page with that? Anything else that you would change that Snicker did? Because for me, he kind of batted a thousand today. No, he did great. Uh, he was aggressive with the bullpen, which is exactly what you need to do. That 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 game could have gotten away. If you send Freed out there for another inning, maybe he's less available for game five. Maybe he's like significantly more terrible uh, on a game where he doesn't have it, and all of a sudden this game gets out of reach. He was he was he used a lot. He used good relievers, but I mean, still didn't use AJ Minter. Didn't use Shane Green. Obviously, there's some other arms, but those are the two guys. Like has some arms that he didn't use at all. I, I thought he did a great job. And one thing I one thing I do want to point out too, uh, and he also subbed out Marquez for Pache late, which basically I'm going to endorse in every situation based on how Nick has looked at the plate. 
But especially when you're winning by that many runs, like it's yeah, a no-brainer yeah, at that yeah, point. Yeah, yeah, put them in, put them in defensively. Uh, there was some like there was some rumblings. It's like you know why don't you put Pache in center and and Ronnie in right? They're but, not going like, to do that. It. Is that that's the def and that's the definition of splitting hairs and that type of move, right? Like that's just a, that's that's completely that was completely fine. Um, I actually really liked the broadcast today too. Other than the broadcast talking about uh, the the hit by pitch thing, which I just I just don't think that they were as um, as keyed in on. I thought Adam Wainwright, fellow son of uh, Brunswick, Georgia, uh, <laughs> I thought he was really good on the broadcast. You know, I mean, I hate the organization he's affiliated with, but I thought he was really good. And you know, it's kind of nice to listen to a broadcast that doesn't hate the sport that they're covering. So yeah. overall, I was really happy. Uh, I didn't have to hear about two hours from A Rod about bunting. I mean, all of it was just. I thought they just did a really good job. Like I, it was entertaining. I'm again. I'm all, I just wanted to point that out because you mentioned the broadcast, and I'm and I'm with you. But like that didn't feel so much as like you know like you know kind of the old school way of things. So much as just like weren't aware, like completely aware of the history and the the totality of it. Yeah, I didn't think it was great. Um, I thought it was a little bit lower on, on that on that booth than you were today. But with that said, it was much better than the ESPN booth from the last series uh, by leaps and bounds. And I always like Adam Amin, who was the play by play guy today. So yeah, sign me up. It was fine um, for the most part. Yeah, you know, back to the decision making from from Snit. You go to O'Day there, I like the aggressiveness, number one, going to the bullpen, especially with the way Freed was looking. And if there's ever a time to use Darren O'Day, it's with four straight right-handers coming up. So go ahead and go to go ahead and go yeah. to him there. He had already warmed up. Um, you bring him in, he, he allows a single, but nothing else. Uh, nice play by Freddie Freeman to save uh, save a hit in that inning. But um, it just tactically made a lot of sense. And then you mentioned the guys they were able to avoid. I know, I know Green warmed up late, so maybe that's not ideal, but... They didn't have to use every single guy, which is nice. And again, to be able to navigate five innings and not worry too much about being overtaxed. And part of that, they were just all very, very good, with the exception of Chris Martin, who has probably earned a benefit of the doubt based on how well he's pitched all season long. But yeah, O'Day, O'Day comes in and cruises. Um, by the way, a pretty uh, BABIP laughable uh, result in the bottom of the fifth. It didn't really matter, but Freddie leads off with an absolute rope that he had about, that he had about 400 feet with 110 mile exit velocity, and it's caught in deep center field. And then the the next hitter, Travis Darno, hits a broken bat flare in, into the into left field, and it's like, oh, baseball. Hey, <laughs> hey, hey, hey TDA was running good today. I'm not. He I was. am not the least bit upset about it. Oh no, it was just fun. Yeah, it was it, just funny. Oh yeah, 100. percent I mean, like again, just kind of a note on the bullpen. Other than Martin, who I don't expect to see out there tomorrow, no Braves reliever threw more than eleven pitches today. Yeah, I mean, and given and, that, and and, 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 and Matzik, who we'll get to because he's been insane. Matzik was the one that threw eleven. Everyone else was like single digits, like crazy easy innings. So that was nice to see for sure, given how much usage where they had to kind of go with. Yeah, I mean. I don't know. Everybody, everybody was so good, and you know, given the fact that Snit said he would be prepared to use anybody back-to-back days, we'll see. I mean, there are a couple of guys. I think it's O'Day and Matzik have not pitched back-to-back days all all year, all year long. We'll see if they're available tomorrow. I assume they will be. Uh, they were available in the last series in Game Two. Um, they didn't pitch, but it's just one of those things where, yeah, we'll see. But you can't ask for much more of the bull, out of the bullpen with the lead they had. Eventually, of course, they don't have the lead yet in our in our TikTok here, so we'll keep going. Uh, you mentioned Matzik. Uh, struck out the side in eleven pitches in the sixth. Like, what are you gonna? What are you gonna? What are you gonna, what are you gonna, what are you gonna say? <laughs> I mean, it's ridiculous. He 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 has like the when he like had the all the base runners against the Reds and he just like struck out the side and <laughs> and then he like I think the last I want to say someone says I think it was like the last eleven batters that he's faced he struck out. I'm not sure if that's actually correct, but I don't that I have to pause and wonder if that's true. It kind of speaks to how good that guy's been, and I like I took when we were, whenever the uh, the Reds game happened that we rehabbed, and I said that I was just not used to like really relying on Matzik in high leverage situations. Whenever he comes in the games, like a certain sense of calm comes over me because it's just like he does not look hittable. He just doesn't. No, I mean, he, like he really does look absurd, and to to just kind of acknowledge the journey he has been on. Like this is a guy who was like borderline out of baseball at, at one point. Like this is someone who was yep. not supposed to be in this role was not a part of the, of the core bullpen. You know, a lot of these guys were supposed to be good this year. Melanson Smith, Martin, those guys are supposed to be there. Even though day is highly paid and has been good for a long time. 
Uh, getting Matzik out of nowhere, um, and Minter too, sort of revitalizing. But you know, recently Minter was the closer for the Braves, like you know, two two years ago essentially. But Matzik just finding that guy out of nowhere and having him be this good. Uh, I hope it continues. I'm knocking on wood, on, on wood right now, but man, he is out of his mind at the moment. So that's helpful. Yeah. Let's just say that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A hundred percent. Just find like a lights out lefty who can just get anyone out. Yep. That seems oh, good. Oh, is that all? Uh, <laughs> I noted earlier, uh, but I'll say it again. Now, again, the Marlins are 28. No leading after six this season. Um, and now we go to the seventh where they were no longer were leading anymore uh smith comes in will smith on the top half um basically gets a breezy one two three inning all on the ground he's been looking good still uh the old will smith is back which is nice and then yep. the bottom the bottom of the seventh was the was the ending of all innings today um austin riley leads off with it with a uh, a single that was not exactly smoked but we'll take it and then acuna singles as well that brings in uh that that, that brings uh, freeman to the plate um by the way i was surprised not necessarily like stunned but they left Alcantara out there to face Acuna for the fourth time. That I wondered about that too, because Riley, I kind of understood. Same, because right? like you know, that's the number nine hitter. You kind of like that right on right matchup. Alcantara had looked good in the previous inning, so like I kind of understood that one. Alcantara had not looked good against Ronnie. Like he just hadn't. And so I just I didn't understand that move at all. And right. you know, he probably uh, if, if Snit did, did that we, we would lose our minds. Uh, I would say that's like if Snit made that move, I would have been yeah, losing it if I was on the, so if I if I'm a Marlins podcaster today, that's a, that's an area I'm focused on. I will say this in in their minor defense, the Marlins bullpen is not good. Um so that, it's not the same that, situation as the Braves. What, but yeah, that's what I tweeted. I'm like, so what? What righty do they have in their bullpen that is really slanted that they really want to face Ronnie with? And I guess I kind of understand. I understand. That well, part of the it thing too. is that they brought in a righty to face Freeman. So like, if you're going to bring in a yeah. right-hander, why don't you just go the the, the, the plate appearance before that? Like, I would have understood it if they had like this lights out lefty warming up to face Freeman. I would have gotten it a lot more. But they brought in a righty to face Freeman and Oz- Freeman and Ozuna, and it's like. Why didn't you just bring that guy in so, a batter before? I don't, I'm confused by that. So following this train of thought and understanding what happened in this inning with this particular reliever, do you really want that right-handed reliever going against Ronald Acuna Jr., or I do mean, you want to just hope that Alcantara can get it out? To be f- somewhat fair, he's been pretty good this year by the numbers. I don't know a whole lot about the Marlins bullpen individually, but the numbers were, were actually yeah. pretty fine. So, But yeah, he looked bad. I mean, we'll, we'll leave it there for now. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, I, I, I mean, I look, I, I understand what you're saying, but like, you know, I, I don't think that they had a great position there. No, it's the not like, it's weird. not like the Braves where they have like some guy who's just nails, you know what I mean? Like, it's just kind of... Well, we, we circled that in the, in the preview, to be fair. Like, we said... If there was a single potential spot for the Marlins to bother the Braves, it was with the starters. The bullpen has not been good all year. Uh, that was the case, obviously, in this game. Um, and by the way, Freddie actually hits into a, field, into a fielder's choice to cause some drama. Uh, so there's first and third with one out, and everyone makes the same tweet about how the Braves have been bad in the situation all season long, and with good reason, because they have been. But then Marcelo Zuna comes through with a single to tie the game. And we're all happy then, by the way. Like, we're all ecstatic. It's tied. They didn't blow the opportunity. And uh, my guard was not even really back up again. And, like, you know, seconds later, Travis Arnaud bombs, and it's 7-4 to four in the blink of an eye. I was not prepared yep. for that, frankly. I almost, like, kind of fell out of my chair at work. I was trying, I was multitasking. Um, you know, I have a day job. I'm at work. And uh, I did a double take, and it's like, wait, that, that's, that's, that's going to go out of the ball. Yep, that's going to go out of the ballpark. It's gone. And I'm thinking, oh, it's seven to four. Uh, they, they were just losing like five seconds ago. Yeah, that that inning was kind of like I was still kind of laughing to myself. Like the like Austin Riley's like <laughs> he reached base three times today, and I think the best play appearance of all those three of those might have been the walk that he had. Because the other two, like he's like hits, he's like dribbling, and I'm like kind of like okay, well they're kind of making it work. You know, maybe they can get to them the, the bullpen late. And, you know, maybe in, a, in an inning or two, maybe they can kind of squeak this one out. And then all of a sudden the Darnell home run goes and I'm like, oh, wow. OK, uh, that changes the complexion of things. And then, you know, Ozzy gets a single and then Dansby like hits a scorcher that gets out in a hurry. And I'm just like, oh, I guess the that, game's over. I mean, and, and, and the, the, this team. Yeah, he, he annihilated it. And. Like the team, this team has done this quite a bit. Like I remember one, I can't remember which game it was, but I remember one game where like I went to like the bathroom and I came back and like they had scored five runs. And I'm like, I don't even know how it's possible to get that many base runners. 
to get them to score that many runs in that amount of time. But they do that. Like all of a sudden they just hit out of nowhere. And then like once the game was nine to four, I'm like, this game's over. There's no way this Marlins offense can score five runs off this bullpen. Yeah. There's we, no way. I was a little bit just my, my PTSD kicked in and you, you got to sure, guard sure. a little bit, but yeah, I'm, I'm with you. It, it did feel over in that moment. Uh, I actually heard the Dansby home run in the car. I had to leave work at that moment. So I heard uh, I heard Jim and Joe call that one, and it was actually kind of funny because Joe Simpson was emphatic that he he believed that Dansby's home run went further than uh, all the others today. He thought it was the hardest hit ball of the of the day, even though Jim had told him that the exit velocity was lower, all that stuff. It was just a, it was a very funny moment on on the radio, but uh, it was hammered. Now that I finally oh, seen Joe. it, I saw it after the fact, and that Dansby shot like it was not a traditional like home run trajectory. It was hit pretty low, but man, he he, cr- he crunched that, and it's nine to four, and. It's a six-run inning in the playoffs for the first time since 1998 against the Padres. That's a long, long time ago. I was in middle school. Um, Yeah. And then also the first time with at least three homers in a postseason game for the Braves since the 2001 NLCS. And the names there will make you laugh. It was Marcus Giles, BJ Serhoff, and Javi Lopez with a hat tip to Mark Bowman for that one. So I'll be I'll be honest with you. I was kind of hoping we weren't going to have to reference the 2001 NLCS anymore. That's okay. Uh, we'll stop. Uh, but 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 that is but but that is a good reason to have to reference it in this particular case, and not the you know the the 20 year drought type thing. Well, honestly, I hadn't uh, considered the fact that people would reference the 2005 Astros series throughout. Now that we're now that the, the Braves are playing in that ballpark in Houston where they haven't been in quite some time. It was like oh, people were making jokes about that, and I, I was not prepared for that. Like Chris Burke jokes, I, I can't. I can't, I can't take any of that stuff. So, uh, gl- glad they won today. Let's just say that. Um, like you said, obviously the Braves are huge favorites at that point in time. Uh, oh, I, I want to know this. The Braves, I was looking at some of those like live, you know, per per plate appearance, per at-bat, um, win probability things. And the Braves were like 75% to lose the game at one point when they were down 4-1. to So, not a crazy comeback. Not a, not a Falcons-level meltdown from the Marlins. But certainly the Braves were a big underdog at one point in this game. Which one? Uh, that was that was that was mean spirited. It's funny. That was mean spirited. It's funny because it's Quinn special. It is. Let's just move on. Um. So yeah, they they're up nine four. I had the same thought as you, and like putting my my actual brain on and not my heart. The Braves are huge favorites. They're up five runs, and they managed to hold on. Chris Martin was not his best, uh, but even then, like two kind of soft singles against Martin. He, he hit a guy with a pitch, uh, but it wasn't like he was terrible. I thought he was kind of okay looking. He didn't look like his best, but kind yeah, of like, kind of, kind of like, kind of like Freed. It. Yeah, kind of like Freed. It wasn't like he looked completely out of sorts. It was not his crispest. But I, I'm not worried about Chris Martin after this. Like that was a question on Twitter that I saw. It's like, oh, oh no, what about Martin? Is he broken? I'm like, no, he looks, he looks fine. It's fine. Yeah, got got a bit unlucky. Wasn't at his sharpest. Those things happen. Considering how good this guy has been all year, like. Uh, an appearance that gives up a run. Yeah, I'm fine. Like, yeah, I'm not this worried. Is, this, is, this, is, this wasn't the Luke Jackson experience over and over again. This wasn't, you know, some of the, I mean, like, like, even now, after that appearance, like, guys like Shane Green and Will Smith, given their total track record this year, which is still very good, but certainly spottier than Martin's, like, I worry more about those guys than Martin and I don't worry about those guys at all right now because I also think they've looked good too. So again, like that he was he was fine. It was just, you know, an unfortunate like kind of just and I'm not not as not as crispus and you know it doesn't look like he's gonna you know, he threw a you know twenty six pitches or something like that today. So I would imagine that they wouldn't run him out there tomorrow unless again something weird happens with Ian. But overall like he's fine. Yeah he he would be the guy that I would try not to use tomorrow to be sure based on how the workload was today. Um, in the yep. bottom of the eighth, they actually threatened to add more insurance. They had uh, a pair of walks, actually three walks in the inning, and just never uh, managed to get them home. That's okay. Didn't need it. And then the ninth, uh, Mark Melanson looked look great. Uh, back-to-back strikeouts. A fly out to the warring track is a little bit scary, but up up four, uh, up four didn't matter as much. And, uh, yeah, a nice tidy win for the Braves. Uh, we I'll stop now and just let's, let's reflect a little bit on what happened, you know, broadly speaking. Um there were a couple stars. We mentioned Travis Darno earlier. It was kind of the Travis Darno game, honestly, with the way that he was able to play in this spot. Um, I'll read the numbers to you now for Darno. Uh, he was three for three with a with four RBI, a run, a home run, of course, and two walks. Uh, Marcelo Zuna two for five. Ronnie two for five with a home run. 
Uh, no disasters. The only guy who had the offer was Adam Duvall. He didn't look great, um, and neither did Dansby, honestly, until the home run. But you know, they kind of broke well, out. Freddie, I mean, well, Freddie was zero for four too. He had oh, he walk, was but... he walked. That's what it was. I had that on my mind. Uh, he got on base, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. Some of the if you look at some of the numbers in the playoffs, they're not terribly exciting in the in the uh, in the in, in the lineup right now. Other than Ronnie, everybody else looks kind of uh, paltry, but. Nine runs is plenty, and I don't really worry yeah. about anybody. I mean, Marquecas and Duvall, that, that, for a little bit in this game, I had a note in my brain to mention the Swanson, Duvall, Marquecas trio as like a potential point of concern because they, because they all hit back to back to back and they, and they all looked pretty awful. But then uh, they started waking up later on. Marquecas got a hit and then they'd be, they'd be bombed. So anything you're worried about on offense, or can we just leave it and hope this continues? I mean, it was nice for Adam Duvall to kind of show a little bit more against right handed pitching, just period. Uh, he, you know, he hit the home run in the Cincinnati game late, so that was kind of nice. And but, you know, this this Marlins team is another team that's just gonna be piping in righties. You know what I mean? And tomorrow is a righty that's particularly tough on other righties in Lopez. So I, it would be nice if the, you know they could he could kind of get going at least a bit. You know, he had some pretty decent bats where he like saw a few pitches, but you know, just it would be nice to kind of feel like he could do some damage at some point because he was so key in that, you know, that Cardinal series last year, you know, kind of keeping them, the Braves even in it. Um, but beyond that, I mean, like, I just don't expect that much from Marquecas. I was like kind of pleasantly surprised that he actually got a hit. Uh, he almost hit a home run today too. He almost got out. He got, yes, robbed it did. Of it. yeah, um, that, that, that would have been hysterical, but, uh, you know, like, you know, I just don't expect much from him. Um, and, but you know, what I kind of said is that, you know, if, other players other than Ronnie show up in this series. I, I just don't see how the Marlins can keep up. And, you know, they got contributions from like, like real contributions from like five different players in the lineup. And that, that, that doesn't include like, you know, kind of like the, like the, like the Ozzy Albies type games, you know, things like that, where, you know, they, maybe he wasn't awesome, but you know, he at least, you know, he scored a run, got a hit, that type of stuff. You know, if they can do that, like, I just don't, I just don't see what Miami can do because I don't think their bullpen is particularly good. I don't think that they're, rotations like you know eight innings of shutout ball type guys you know what i mean they just have like guys who will limit damage and then that, they have to hope that that's enough they either have to win close or they're gonna lose big and today they lost big. <laughs> yeah i mean i don't know this is one that i wanted to point out real quickly but duvall is not you know we knew this about duvall we are a very pro pro duvall podcast but duvall against righties is never supposed to be the plan it just kind of have happened to happen that way because of how bad the other options were uh so hopefully he can find something but i'm not terribly shocked about him against right-handed pitching especially good right-handed pitching for the most part so just put a, put a pin in that we'll come back to it of course i have to mention one thing now that you probably haven't, haven't even seen this yet because it would just happen five minutes ago on, on the twitter machine <laughs> I'm, gonna read I, I, I'm looking at something. I'm, I'm I'm looking at something on Twitter too. So I want to see which one you're. Is it the Ronald Acuna tweet? Because it's that's yep, what I have. It sure is. So Ronald Acuna tweeted uh, about five minutes ago as we're recording this in the seven o'clock hour on Tuesday, and I quote from Ronald Acuna: "They have to hit me because I don't get me out." End quote. So with the shush, with the shush faces. Three I I true. You know, I will say this: I I I try to be objective as much as possible. Uh, we don't we don't go like super hard into the irrational on this podcast. I, I love Ronald Acuna. I really do. I truly, love I, I truly, he had a great Instagram post earlier too. I don't know if you, you might not have seen that cause you might go home. He, uh, like it was a picture of his bat flip after the home run and, he, and, he, and like on his Instagram, it says, I would like to apologize to absolutely nobody. He's uh he's really the best. Uh, uh, he, he's my he is my hero. Yeah, base, baseball needs more of that, um, and I I really really enjoy it. And do you know? Obviously, there's some risk there because if you come out and go over eight for your next eight, you're gonna get some heat. But I I appreciate him putting pressure on himself. I appreciate him being incredible at baseball, and the swagger and uh, and all of it. I, I I love I love Ronald Acuna. Okay, uh, let's look ahead to game two real quickly. It's Lopez versus Anderson. Lopez was actually the best pitcher for the Marlins this season, at least the most valuable guy in 11 starts. He was a pretty good low threes ERA. Um, he has a he has a platoon split though. Lefties are much better on lefties are much better against him than righties. That's uh, not abnormal, but certainly worth pointing out. Bullpen we talked about before. Like I think everyone's available with the potential exception of Chris Martin. How are you feeling about game two? Because, you know, the betting markets are out. The Braves are like minus 200 favorites in game two, which is pretty substantial in a one-game baseball series. Uh, sorry, one-game baseball s- sequence. Uh, the series is a little bit longer than that, obviously. But what do you think about game two? Anything you're worried about? Like, Lopez is capable of pitching well, but uh, the Braves are obviously seen as the favorite still. 
Uh, I mean, look, yet the the lefties with Freddie and hopefully Markakis and, and Ozzy switching left, you know, or staying staying left, I guess, in his particular case, you know, the you you want to get production out of those guys because again, lefties have been significantly better against him. But if like two righties in the lineup can just do some damage and like make him throw some pitches. Like that's, I, I honestly think that's all the Braves need because again, you get to the bullpen. This is just what this team does. This is they, you know, even if their starter is throwing pretty well, they kind of just grind them out, wait them out, and then they get to a bullpen. They find a piece that keeps, makes mistakes, and like you're not going to have, you're not going to find a team that punishes mistakes. Like especially guys having a bad day, not just like one mistake. If he's if a guy is having a rough day, he's not. These this isn't a team that like you know. Especially without Ender and Ciarte and you know Marquez getting regular at bats together, um, this isn't like you know the free you know getting double plays to bail you guys out. Like there's a bunch of guys who can really hit the crap out of the ball, so I I, I think that the Braves are, should be healthy favorites in that game. Um, you know again like as long as the, like the lefties are kind of putting up decent at bats and then you have like two righties who are like kind of giving him some trouble. Uh, friendly reminder: Lopez is also the starter from the 29 run game. Uh, that the Braves put up on the Marlins. I think so, he did. I think he actually did beat the Braves in September, if I recall correctly. He, he, the, the, I, I think it might be flipped. I think that the twenty nine. He had two starts against. Him. I think one earlier he pitched well against them, and then the second one he didn't get it out of the second inning because the Braves, you know, were yeah. hitting everyone that night. No, no so, mercy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Take from them everything. Um, so you know, again, this is a guy that they've had recent success against. Uh, again, you know. The, in game two of a playoff series, going against a guy that pitched against you when you scored 29 runs, not a, not a bad feeling. Um, you have to kind of be wary of the fact that this is a team that is playing with a chip on its shoulder, is probably playing angry now, particularly at Ronald Acuna Jr., <laughs> um, considering how this uh, how this afternoon and evening have gone. Um, but I just, I I don't I I'm just not scared of the Marlins' offense. I don't think that like. They going against Max Fried, who's kind of weirdly struggled against the Marlins because they have some righties that are just kind of a pain to hit against. Brian Anderson being chief among them, um, but now all these righties are going to have to deal with Ian Anderson, uh, and even their lefties. Ian Anderson's changeup's been very good against them. I just I don't see how the Marlins' offense can keep up. I just don't like. It's just I, again, it's kind of like the Cincinnati Reds thing. Where it's just at the end of the day, I look at that offense with at least the Reds. I remember that these guys had at one point been guys who could carry a team offensively, but they just can't do that anymore. With the Marlins, I just feel like that they have to have like five or six guys have pretty decent games in order to like put up, you know, a substantial offensive performance. Where the Braves can just like have two guys that just go wild and all of a sudden it's an eight nothing game. You know what I mean? So yeah. I just it's it it's very differently constructed lineups and I d- it's not a favorable matchup for Miami and then once it gets to the bullpens you know the Braves bullpen is very very good the Marlins is not uh, I don't I, I don't think it's like catastrophically bad like you know a lot of people like it's kind of ranked and again I think that a little bit sm- kind of some sample size stuff but it isn't Phillies bad not, <laughs> no it doesn't feel uh, yeah it, do- it doesn't feel it doesn't feel like the Phillies bullpen like every time the Phillies bullpen came in I'm like well that anything can happen now because you know six runs later and things like that. But yeah, it's it's I I feel very good about the matchup. I think the Braves will be up two games to none once tomorrow comes to an end, uh, and then you know we will see. One but we're, we're we're one game closer. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, last thing before we get out of here, um, the roster decisions were pretty minimal this time around. They decided to go with 15 position players, sorry, 15 pitchers and 13 position players. They swapped out Johan Camargo and Contreras from the wildcard series and carried Bryce Wilson and Wascar Yanoa. Not a huge surprise there. I support both choices. I think going with Culberson over Camargo is interesting. Might be pitch pinch running situation, something like that, or a mercy catcher is only carrying two. I, that's kind of funny, but it might actually be the case. Um, did you have any takes on that? I, I don't want to spend much time on it, but I feel like that was kind of what I expected for the most part, and I was pleasantly surprised about carrying both because I thought it'd be fourteen at least. I argued for fifteen, and they carried fifteen. Uh, I supported it. Uh, I was thinking it was going to be more just swapping out one of Culberson or Camargo, yep. and like as like kind of the 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 time that like, got closer and closer, I actually started thinking it was Camargo because 
it seems like with Christian Pache on the roster, they have a very specific plan for him, and that is to sub him in for Nick Markakis late. Now, in some cases, that could be as him as a pinch runner, assuming Nick gets on base. That is obviously not a given. Um, yeah. But, um, you know, having him come in late for games as a defensive replacement and maybe, you know, hit against the lefty. We, you know, we, we saw, that, that, we saw Culberson be used... Yeah, the one way I can so see him be used uh, in in that last series, where like if they don't want to burn Pache early early to run, right. they might do that. And otherwise, he should never play unless unless there's a weird situation. Because pinch hitting, yeah. like and, your bench, is, your bench is not. I mean, we don't have to do this whole thing again, but you're you're just not pinch hitting very often <laughs> with with a DH. It's just not. You don't need guys no, like that. And and Camargo is not a guy you can pinch on. He's slow. Very. Um. He. Very he slow. He doesn't seem like he's good, like outside of like third base where he's okay right now. I would call him okay at third base, maybe. Uh, and you already have a guy in Pablo Sandoval who's on the roster to back up Austin Riley at that position. Um, so, like, are you really ever going to be happy about put, subbing him in a short or second? Like, he hasn't really played very well when he's had those opportunities over the, in those spots. Uh, neither one of them can hit. So, what are you going to use this utility guy defensively? I mean, maybe they're, it's a, kind of a push as to kind of what how well they can play each of the position, all the positions all together. And then in Charlie's case, you can use him as your primary pinch runner when you need to, if you feel like you kind of have to use a pinch running slot spot uh, without burning Pache to be used in the purposes that you have very clearly laid out as a plan. Yeah. We, we know exactly how they're going to use Pache. Uh, we'll hold off on any discussion about lefty lineups because the Marlins did carry a pair of left-handed starting pitchers. They might they use one in game four. We can hold off on that until we get closer, but that might be. Uh, we're certainly going to argue to start Pache if that if that ends up mattering. Um, I, I will certainly be on this podcast arguing to start Pache if they, if the Marlins start a left-handed pitcher. But we'll see what happens there. Uh, hopefully, hopefully it'll be a sweep. We won't have to worry about that. But we'll go, we'll get there when we get there. Um, I know, right? It'd be it'd be nice if it was just. It'd be very no nice if it, if it was painless and drama-free, but that wouldn't be very on-brand for anything with regard to the Braves. Uh, final thing here, on the series itself, we both alluded to it, we're, we're, we're both very confident. The systems that I have seen, 538 gives the Braves an 85% chance to win the series, Zips 87.2%, and the betting markets, I saw the Braves as a minus 500 favorite to win the series now. All of that makes sense to me. Uh, it is not over, and those numbers will tell you, like, you know, it's not a 1% chance, it's more like 10 to 15%, and that's significant. It's not like it's zero. And yes, the Marlins have to win three yeah. out of the next four, but I, I want to make sure we say this on the record. This is not over by any means. Even if they win tomorrow, uh, up 2-0, uh, we've, we've seen good teams be swept in a three-game baseball series. It, it happens all the time. So like this is still baseball yep. where, th- where things can happen. Uh, the Braves should be favored. They are hugely favored at this point in time with a win in game one. But uh, I wanted to make sure we put it on the record. This is not over, and the Marlins are fully capable of both winning tomorrow and giving the Braves a run in the rest of the series. So don't be—I uh, mean, not, nothing, nothing, nothing that we could do could be uh, influencing the results. But just keep that in your head. This is not over just yet. And if they keep winning, then that'd be great, and they should be favored. But I want to say that out loud. Yep, guarded optimism is good. You don't want to get your heart broken and get too excited. But you know, tomorrow Braves are two to one favorites according to Zips. Uh, the game three is going to be a, t- a bit of a tougher one because the Marlins are expected to start Sixto Sanchez. Yeah, that's who, the fir- that's the first is, and only been... game where like I know Kyle Wright looked yeah. great at the end of the year, but you you cannot say the Braves have a pitching pitching advantage in that series in that game. You, 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 you just can't. Um, it's yeah. possible Kyle Wright pitches super well, like he's a talented guy, but on paper that one does favor the Marlins more than the, more than the first two do probably. Yeah, I mean, and that's the one that the Marlins have the best chance at forty one point seven according to Zips. To win uh, again, that seems like another situation where you, you know, once the Braves get Sixto out of the game, you know, because Sixto is very, very good um, and has pitched well against the Braves once and then once not so well. It's it is certainly advantageous to the Braves that they only have to see him once the series. Uh, after that, you know, then you start getting into you know a possible lefty and then possibly a bullpen game for the Braves. So there, there's a lot of weird stuff that can happen going. It was probably it's probably just best if the Braves just win the next two games. And then, you know, we don't have to think about games four and five because that's when things can start getting a little weird because um, then you're, you know, you're getting running Max Freed back out there again, who wasn't particularly good in game one, obviously. And, you know, then your bullpen's probably starting to get a little tired playing five games in a row. Uh, and that's when that five days without a, a day off can start really kind of taxing that pitching staff. So, you know, you know, one day doing one game one game at a time seems like a good idea here. One uh, day at a time. Things... The, the, cl- the cliche machine that is Eric Yeah, Cole. but yeah. 
Yeah, hey, that's what I'm here for. I'm, One I'm, day I am here at a time. To... I like it. I like it a lot. Uh, Eric, that will probably wrap up. I think we've, we've done enough on this game. It was a lot of fun to see the offense explode. They got a win, and uh, their favorites as a result. Eric, if you have anything going on, please go ahead and plug it. I know you were uh, on recap and coverage duty today, so if there's anything that you want to share for people that may not have seen it, go ahead and do that right now. So if you want to look up anything about the playoff rosters for either team or trying to find out any of the recap information about what's going on in the game, uh, make sure you go on talkingchop.com. There are a lot of articles, most of them by me, but not all. But most of them were written by me today, kind of prevalent once the rosters were released. So if you want to know who's on and who's not on the various rosters, um, you know, notably Star- Starling Marte was kind of the, the highlight of the, the Marlins roster release. Uh, you know, and then it was a bunch of guys who I honestly couldn't tell you what they looked like or when they've played um, <laughs> you know, uh, beyond kind of their main guys. Uh, but, you know, and then if you're looking for re- recap information or anything like that, that's all up on the site. Uh, that's pretty much going to be it for me for the next couple days. Uh, I know that Matt has some, you know, some, <laughs> some draft type stuff coming up over the next day or two, uh, has a couple articles coming and there's going to be, you know, just more content going up on the site. That's going to be pre- a lot of preview type content. We're really going to be kind of dug in on previewing these games as they're happening, make sure that they're really full, thoroughly covered. We've kind of done all that preview type stuff already. And that came out over the weekend and on Monday, you can make sure you check that out. If you're kind of wanting to know our thoughts going into the series, but, you know, we're kind of past that point now, so just kind of make sure you're checking out on the site because if you really want to keep up what's going on, like, it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, it seems like a lot of people have been really enjoying themselves being on the site. The game thread today had 1,500-plus comments, Whew. which, you know, yeah, uh, we probably should have made an overthrow thread, overflow thread, but, you know, these things happen. And, you know, there's a lot of engagement on the site. It's a really fun community to be around this time of year, so make sure you check out the site. There's just going to be stuff going up on the site constantly over the next few days for sure. Check all that out. The uh, Of course, Game 2 is at 2.08 again on Wednesday. So if you're listening to this podcast before then, um, keep it keep it subscribed. Keep it locked. We'll have another podcast after Game 2. I believe the West Coast Correspondent is going to join me on Wednesday if that all works out. So uh, hopefully Scott won't jinx us because Eric and I are now 2-0 in the playoffs. West, um, <laughs> West Coast we'll see. Correspondent. We'll see what happens. Uh, all right, Eric. Thanks for joining me as always, my friend. Everybody else, please subscribe. Please subscribe. Please subscribe to the podcast. And we'll see you after the game on Wednesday. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts.